Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello. Welcome to the show. We're looking forward to talking to you today, as we always do. This is a call-in show, so it's most interesting for everyone, if you will give us a call or maybe send me an email, you can call at 845-5689. If you're calling from outside the area, 979-845-5689. And it, by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. We would be happy to visit either way. With the email, you can always attach a photo if you want something identified or diagnosed or We'll be happy to give it a shot. Well, we did have a, uh, just hit an email right quick. We had a, a follow-up with uh, uh, Randy's last uh, week email about we're trying to identify something, and I couldn't tell if it, for sure if it was a, a melon or, I mean, a watermelon-related or a cantaloupe-related and, and, uh, or cucumber-related. It is a, a cucumber-related that's busted open now with seeds, and those are for sure cucumber seeds. So it's some kind of a wild wild thing. Uh, it doesn't look like a cucumber, but that's that's what its closest relative probably is. Uh, there are some other wild melons uh, along those lines. You know, the what we would think of more is like a cantaloupe, a uh, musk melon, um, that would, it could also be closely related to. Uh, in fact, probably the the line of connection is uh, somewhere between those two. You know, when you get into a lot of plants, they there's not just really distinct types sometimes there's a there's a range uh, you know i have talked about oak trees in the past that uh, oaks are uh, i like to refer to them as quite promiscuous their their pollen goes everywhere and you get a little tree sprouts up that the squirrels planted for you and you don't really know the parentage of that tree and sometimes i i look at samples look at leaves look at acorns and bark and it's like, well, it looks like it's mostly this kind of oak, but it also kind of looks a little like that kind because they've crossed. Uh, and you can't control where the pollen flies in the wind and nature. And when we get into uh, melons, squashes, all of that world of cucurbits, there is a lot of variation too, and things can cross. And that's why we have so many wonderful and unusual, in some cases, squashes and gourds and, and whatnot. Uh, there are several different species that can that can be categorized into that general group, and some of them cross, some of them don't. Uh, but if you want to get into plant breeding and have some fun, boy, that's a that's a place to get get going. Just study up and find out what can cross with what uh, before you you start you know spending your time trying. And uh, they're very easy, big flowers, separate male and female flowers. So 
put a bag over a, a bloom that you know is going to be a female. It has a little miniature of that fruit on the bottom of the bloom. And when it opens up, no bees can get to it. But you can get in there and take a little artist brush and pollinate it yourself. And then you absolutely know who the mom and dad was when, the, when you plant those seeds. I can see how they turn out. It's kind of fun to do. Well, let's go to the phones now. Again, the number 845-5689. And we're going to talk to Greg. Hello, Greg. Good, good afternoon. Hey. What's hey, up? Uh, it's a two-part two question, both of them involving cold weather. The recent, well, the, I shouldn't say recent, but I guess everywhere back from December to January, we had such warm days followed by such cold weather. My wife and my both seemed to, to notice that there wasn't any chance maybe for plants to harden or get ready because we've seen damage from these temperatures that were worse than previous cold spells. Is that a what? What are you possible? seeing damage on? Well, I mean, everywhere from rose bushes to some other plants. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they. I mean, these are established rose bushes from anywhere from six to eight to ten years right and uh, you know and they and they just took a hit and and, yeah. and i was theorizing that it was you know when it's 83 one day and you set a record and then we get into the 20s or uh, we live rural so we always see anywhere from two to five degrees colder it seems like than, than urban areas mm -hmm. yeah I, anyway well your your points that you're making in the question are, are correct um there are a lot of factors that can affect the plant one significant one is the weather leading up to the freeze event. And this time, I remember as we were getting ready to freeze, I, I was thinking, you know, it, it's been a little warmer than I'd like it to be uh, in the last few weeks but uh, at times. But it, it didn't strike me as the kind of event what, that this freeze was going to really wipe them out. You know, we've been up in the 80s, for example, for a couple of weeks, and, and then it freezes. Yeah, then we've got plants that are that are no longer at their uh, cold hardy estate. Uh, that wasn't the case this time, but I've seen kind of what you're describing. I've got a rose bush that normally is pretty hardy and it, it kind of got burned a little bit. Um, and so I, I think that may be a factor in it. Where the plant is located can be a factor. You know, if, if it's on the, let's just go say the east side of the house, as the sun moves through the day, it gets into the shade, the plant does, and then the warmest part of the day, you don't have sun warming those leaves and, and stems and, and soil around the plant. And as a result, it's, it's not as likely, you know, to start to, the juices flow, if you will, in, in the plant. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it was on the west side, then the opposite would be true. And, and, and on the west side, maybe you got a brick side to your house that is collecting that solar heat and then radiating it out through the, through the evening. And, and then here comes the cold. One thing this cold snap had was wind. Now, we had some pretty significant yeah. breezes. And so what that does is just speed the cooling. It doesn't make cold colder. It just makes the plant cool off faster to whatever the degree is going to be. So take, maybe take maybe some of the ground ground temperature out, I guess. Also, uh, it could, yeah, on, on bare soil especially. Um, but the ground is a is a very thick, dense resource with moisture that is not going to lose, except right at the surface, is not going to lose the heat that that fast. But those plant tissues, you know, a little rose stem sticking up in the air with wind blowing by. Uh, that's going to drop a lot faster. So I don't know, maybe that maybe that was also part of the factor. Uh, but we just kind of wait, see how they come out, and prune them back accordingly. I, I think your roses will be fine. Well, I, we, they appear to not have 
be damaged, damaged beyond repair, but they mm-hmm. certainly looks like you said took a took a greater hit than anticipated. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, like I said, I've seen some of that myself. I mean, because we've had some moderate weather since then, and in there, you know, normally they would have almost bounced back with some foliage. That, well, anyway, they, they would have looked a little bit more winter typical winter for us. But these these look. They just look like they're they're going to have to a little bit longer recovery in the spring, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and one right. of the last last observation question is related to the wind and cold and everything else is is these high winds we had have shown to me at least we live in the woods in an oak forest that we're going to have a really ugly looking spring with our post oaks. A lot of them from February of 2021. You know, we had trees. It would come out very sparsely around maybe the bottom third, mm-hmm. something like that. And you wondered, okay, well, the limbs are now, these high winds, are just, they're shedding limbs like crazy from the upper part of the tree. Now, I guess the tree may survive, but it's going to be ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so you're... It, it, was per, it was permanent damage. From the, by permanent, I mean those, those limbs did not recover. Now they're breaking off. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, the I'll speak in general terms, which is all I can do when I'm talking about you know every possible tree with every possible degree of damage. But uh, it, when a when limbs are lost, if it's just the outer limbs, those can be pruned out or some you know they'll eventually just fall out. But uh, and there's not a lot of significant damage to the structure of the tree, and maybe not as much uh, interior decay uh, that's going to follow in time. Uh, th- there still will be interior decay. But when you lose larger limbs where your your chainsaw cut is going to be six inches across or even larger, uh, then that wound is not going to heal. That, that cut is not going to close over uh, very rapidly. And it takes, takes a while. And if it's an older tree, um, you know, it's kind of like us as we get older we don't bounce back as fast and uh, the vigor is not quite there and so uh, it may take you know five or more years well it depends on the size of the cut I shouldn't give a number of years but it take years for it to close over and in that time you've got uh, bare unprotected wood just like a two by four sticking out there in the elements rain soaks in and the decay begins and so by the time it actually would try to close over it may start to be sunken and then there's nothing for that callus to to support that callus, so it, it joins itself coming from both sides of the wound or all four sides of the wound. And and when you have that, and then add to it the aesthetic disfigurement of the tree, if it's a tree in your yard, uh, the question's not so much is will the tree live, is it do I want the tree that's going to be the result of what just happened? And I think in a lot of cases, especially in a in a home lawn, uh, those trees should come out. But it's a matter of degree, from zero to a hundred, and and so there's not a, a you know yes no for every situation. You're just going to have to make that decision. Post oaks are a, a fairly slow plant once they're established to close over a wound, and if it's out in a pasture and you don't really care about a a weakness in the tree, uh, you could prune them off and leave it and just let them let them continue uh well in most in most of these cases they're just gonna have to take whatever nature allows because these are fairly good sized trees i mean mm-hmm. we're talking you know maybe a 12 to 20 inch trunk and so you know in the 30s or 40 foot tree 
maybe maybe closer to thirty feet. And so when you lose, you know, just pick a number, put, lose the top half. Mm-hmm. There's no way in the world that that we could afford or or interested in you know hiring someone to take out all the deadwood. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll just be wait to be seen. But I'll, it will, I'm I'm not looking forward to what some of the uh, spring growth may show or or whatever. So yeah, that's that's all true. Um, so. It, it sounds like kind of wait and watch. Uh, maybe do some pruning when if if it's dead, it's dead. It's not going to come back again. Of course, uh, those can come out. But once the new growth begins, it's better. Uh, you're better able to decide how far back do I need to prune that branch. You know, it's kind of hard to tell in winter sometimes. Well, I understand that, and and also the other part is just going to be access because again, you know, post oaks can be kind of gnarly. Some of them can be well shaped, but others can be rather misshapen, and it's yes. going to be. It's going to be interesting to see what's 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 left and what's not. But anyway, yeah. I appreciate your time. Yeah, and thank you for that call, Greg. Uh, I think a lot of people probably are looking at a similar thing because, especially as you get outside into un, uh, you know, undeveloped areas, that post oaks are pretty common tree around here. Well, unfortunately, I guess it's you call it. Fortunately, we have lots and lots of post oaks. So when ten or twenty percent are affected, that leaves a lot that will be okay. Yes, that's true. <laughs> That's All right, true. thank you. All right, thank you. All right, our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689. And uh, if you want to email me, it's gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. I had a question uh, from Mike, uh, and it, it it's one that I, I think is worth uh uh, worth talking about a little bit, uh, especially if any of you have a, a small amount of property, you know, not a city lot, but but some, but something where the possibility of burning an old dead tree might might be uh, considered. Uh, Mike's writing about some live oaks and elms, or excuse me, post oaks and elms that um, are, are going to need to come out, and because they're putting in an orchard, uh, so. The, the question is about burning that wood, and is it okay for those ashes and so on? And w- wood ashes, in and of themselves, are a nutrient source for plants, but everything is in moderation. And when you make a really large burn pile, you have a huge amount, a high concentration of certain kinds of nutrients in one spot. And you essentially can make that spot where a lot of things don't want to grow. And and so what I would recommend if you're going to do that, uh, number one, to spread that pile out and don't make one giant burn pile, but maybe make a hedgerow uh, where you you know you're basically uh, got a, a pile of, of branches. I understand the the woods basically going to become firewood, but the the smaller branches uh, piled up uh, high enough to be able to catch fire and burn. But uh, then at the end of that, you can take that smaller amount of of ashes that result and spread them out uh, left and right down as you go down the row, uh, and not have that concentration. So it's a good it, ashes can be a good thing, but like any fertilizer. It kind of depends on what's already in your soil. And off the top of my head, I am not remembering what all the nutrients that are left are uh, went in ashes. I know you're not going to have a lot of nitrogen, but um, the potassium will be fairly um, soluble and and tend to wash away. But uh, there'll be a lot of the other nutrients there. 
and so moderation is I guess the best answer that I would that I would give you it is a sandy type soil which means that it needs nutrients because they don't stick around long they tend to wash out and things like that but I still would be cautious now the um, uh, the site also had some mushroom compost added in fact a couple of inches of it and mushroom compost is a pretty potent uh, material and uh, it is great for putting in the soil in the right amount and growing plants but if you overdo it you can also have similar problems it tends to have a lot of sodium which we have in our water already in most spots and it also has a higher pH which sometimes may be your pH is already kind of high and you don't want to you don't want to add to it so and, and the pH is I'm I'm fairly sure of that I don't I don't want to I want to qualify that statement a little bit. I, I have not, I don't recall a test recently where we saw exactly what that level was, but my, if my memory serves, it's a little higher pH. Anyway, so moderation, Mike, is what I'd recommend. Uh, if you can, if you want to burn all the ashes in one spot and then haul them somewhere else, that's fine. But uh, bottom line is, is just don't have too much in, in one area. Like if you had three inches of ashes, that's too much uh, in, in one spot. I hope that that is helpful. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now let's go to the phones and talk to Pat. Hello, Pat. Hi there. Hi. I have a, I have a couple of questions for you about uh, vegetable garden soil. Okay. We have... Um, five raised beds that are four by eight, and we primarily uh, raise tomatoes and bell peppers and cucumbers in the summer there, and we mulch, uh, and, you know, towards the end of the tomato season, we get all those diseases, and we've been concerned about, should we leave the mulch on there, or will that promote disease? Should we scrape it off and start anew each year? In, in your vegetable garden, and the mulch is made of what? Um... Um, Texas red cedar. Okay. Well, I, I would pull the mulch back and plant and then put it back because it's going to okay. be very persistent. Uh, cedar is a little slower to decompose than, than some mulches. But, but we don't have to worry about it harboring spores from no. those viruses? No, you don't. Lovely. Uh, and, uh, d you know, if, if, you're, if you would have told me, well, my mulch is chopped up vegetable plants that... Uh, tomatoes and whatever yeah. from last year, then I might say, well, you know, I don't. We I'd, pull I'd those compost guys it. out. We yeah, pull those guys but, out. But diseases are very, um, not completely, but they're very host specific in many cases. For example, uh, powdery mildew can get on your crepe myrtles, and powdery mildew can get on uh, some of your vegetable plants. But the same strain doesn't do both. So if you used powdery mildew-infested crepe myrtle leaves to, and put it in your garden, chances are you're not going to have powdery mildew on things that get powdery mildew. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? So we, yeah. we don't have to worry a lot. Now, when I answer these questions, I'm always generalizing, and there's probably some plant pathologists out there going, yes, yes, wait, let me qualify that a little bit. But in general, no, we don't worry about it at okay. all. Okay. Okay, great. And then we also are concerned about um, soil depletion, and we do use... Um, organic fertilizers but that doesn't seem to be enough and we have some compost uh, that we probably should get out there and turn the pile a couple of times mm -hmm. uh, and use but um, will that work or should we just haul in new soil tell me more about 
why you feel like you need new soil? Well, we have photographs of our bounteous vegetable plants when we first started gardening there. Mm-hmm. And we have nice plants now, but they're not as, they don't zoom like they did initially. Okay, are you are you that's a lack of vigor, but are you also seeing some lack of color in the leaves or No. Okay. No, no, no. They just are sitting there. Well, they're not as robust. I, as I would best. I would start with a soil test just because okay. that's that's pretty fast and easy. And before we go fixing, we we need to know that because that may gotcha. may or may not be part of what we're going to fix uh, okay. in the soil. Uh, good drainage is important. We've uh, got raised beds. Okay, so if you if you had a soil that was you know had someone had rototilled a bunch of compost into and it was just this wonderful mix. Over time, that compost decomposes away, right. and so a lot of the structural benefits to the soil are lost. And as a result, you you can have an, a soil that maybe is a little uh, denser, maybe doesn't drain internally as well. So there could be something like that going on. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, that would be my that would be my best uh, initial guess. But if you want to start with a soil test, you can go to online soil testing tamu.edu and you want the urban soil test form even if you live in Curtin, Texas you want the urban soil test form uh, because that basically means yards, gardens, vegetables, fruit trees those kind of things as opposed to a pasture Uh, and then fill it out and you can drop it off since you're so close here Uh, folks listening in this area can just run it over to the soil test lab or you can mail it Uh, and when the results come in give us a call Uh, you can send it to the AgriLife Extension Office if you want to visit over the results. We can certainly do that, but they'll have recommendations in them. Uh, other than drainage and a soil nutrient being out of whack, the only other thing would be uh, some type of a herbicide uh, contamination that came in maybe with manure, for example, or, or hay. Uh, and in those cases, you would be seeing some really weird, twisty, abnormal growth some thing, other things in addition okay. to just they're okay. not as vigorous. Um, another question, when do tomato transplants tend to hit the stores? That's a good question. I was about after the show, I'm going to run by a place uh, at, or two and, and look. I have, I have not seen them yet, but they may, there may be some coming out. The best, the best time to plant tomatoes, if you just want to plant them and not worry about it, is probably about the first or second week of March. And the first the fir- second week of March. Mm-hmm, the, as we get further into March, it, you're a little safer uh, in terms of a late freeze. But uh, I just checked the other day, and it surprised me. Our final average freeze date keeps moving backwards. Uh, it's like toward the it's re- near the end of February now uh, that we have our last okay. average. If you look at the last ten years. Uh, but we generally say, you know, wait until March to do your planting. The, the earlier you plant, you got the risk of frost, but you can always cover those plants up. Right. And it gives you a little bit of a head start to plant early. If you wait until later, you don't have the frost concern as much. There's always a possibility. I mean, you can frost in April here right. in a rare case. But you, you then don't have the days before it gets so hot that the tomatoes quit setting. Right. So, so there's that's what we're aiming for is somewhere in there. Decide how much of a gambler you are and pick your date accordingly. 
but it's easy to cover tomatoes unless you have an acre yes. of them. No, we're, yeah, now we don't have an acre of them. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate your taking my call. All right. That sounds wonderful. Thank you very much, Pat. Thank you. Our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email. You can reach us at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. I do want to go to the emails again, and uh, we had a question from Ann. Uh, Ann is asking about wanting to buy potassium chloride, and she had asked locally, and they um, they did not have potassium chloride. They had myriad myriad of potash, and uh, potassium chloride uh, is is an old name uh, that that we've used for muriate of potash. Those are essentially the same thing. Uh, but potassium chloride, one thing about it, it, it does have potassium, uh, but it's, it's very soluble, and if you overdo it, that chloride is not real great, uh, overdone. There's nothing, it's a great fertilizer, um, and so don't, don't worry about using that. But uh, you might want to try, and I don't know what the you know, exact soil test results are or what, what all you're going after. I know you're going to use ammonium sulfate also, uh, but in some cases the 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 magnesium may be low and then i would switch from potassium chloride to something called um sulpomag s u l p o m a g three hyphenated syllables uh or um kmag k m a g uh which have potassium magnesium and sulfate and uh that will give you the magnesium as well as the potassium or you could just use a complete fertilizer, something with a, depending on what you're growing, about a 3-1-2 ratio of things. So you have several options there, but uh, potassium chloride and muriate, muriate of potash are basically the same thing. Uh, let's go back to the phones now and talk to Rick. Hello, Rick. Hey, how you doing, Skip? I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. Good to hear yours, too. It's great. Uh, I just had a quick question. I know this, you probably talked about this a million times, but I, I don't remember, but... Um, you know, this is this is uh, uh, the time we have roses, mm-hmm. and so because uh, because Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, but I had a question about you know if you want to take something like a cutting up of a rose and plant it to make another rose like it, can you do that? You can. Um, the there's different approaches to that. You can truly take cuttings where you're picturing a little, you know, four-inch long stick. You pull the leaves off the bottom end, and you leave a couple of leaves on the top end and put some hormone on it. That's a little powder that you, typically it's a powder in garden centers that you can, uh, ad- uh, you know, dust your, your cuttings with on the bottom and put them in. They root pretty well. Uh, now's an okay time to do that. What what I also do, if, if you if you own the rose bush and it's more of a shrub where the branches are reaching out and some going down near the ground, is you can just bend a branch and sort of, you know, think about a, a not a, totally woody or totally succulent but in between when you bend it it kind of cracks so it becomes like an elbow it's almost like it has a hinge in it now because you cracked it uh, and put that elbow down in the ground uh, use a little bent coat hanger or set a big brick on it or something uh, and it will root there and it's it's still attached to the mother plant so your success rate is really high compared to trying to root cuttings and uh, then you just later cut it loose from mama and dig it up and put it where you want. So those are a couple of options. Wow. So, uh, what's the success rate of the uh, 
of the previous one where I take a piece off and get the hormone on it. It varies for, in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the, the type of rose may be different. Um, the uh, condition of the wood from succulent to what I was describing as semi-hardwood to all the way as hardwood that's woody. As you get toward the more woody, it's going to be a little more difficult to root. Uh, and so that semi-hardwood would be your best bet. The, um, you know, the, uh, the kind of mix you have it in, is it well aerated? Does it hold moisture? Can you give it a lot of light, uh, but without direct sun and make sure you've covered it so no moisture can escape? In other words, it's, it's a very humid chamber. Those all help it root faster. Uh, but I usually with roses and within about three weeks, I'm getting something on there. Uh-huh. And, and, but time of year and all those factors can change that quite a bit. I see. Well, great, Skip. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Well. You doing well? I'm well. I'm well. You still growing um, uh, hibiscus, keeping them happy in the winter? In fact, I guess I talked to you about it last year after the big, uh, the big freeze we had, and then I thought I'd lost them, and then all of a sudden some twigs started coming out of it, and now they, they grew up, and... And so they're doing well. <laughs> well, good. You know, because I don't know what the low temperature is for hibiscus, but I thought anything below, what, 40 degrees would probably kill them or something? They're not happy, we'll put it that way, yeah. When you when you get down in the low 40s, they're going to not be a happy camper. So <laughs> They really didn't like it at all. and I thought they were dead, and I had them in my greenhouse, and it didn't get warm enough. I mean, it just mm-hmm. it's so cold for so long. Right. We don't get that. And so then I brought them out, and... They were just, and I was about ready to just throw them out. And I thought I'd slept in the pot for a while, and they, while spring came, it just started blooming. And I went, "Wow!" Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's great. So anyway, uh, it's good to talk to you, Skip. Yeah, it's good to talk to you always. Yeah. Well, take care, bud. All right, you take care too. Thank you for the call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's see, we have a phone call from Mark. Let's talk to Mark. Hey, Mark. Howdy, howdy, Skip. Thank you so very much uh, for your great show. Thank you for having me. Hey, Mark. Howdy, howdy, Skip. Thank you so very much uh, for your great show. And uh, shout out to our friend Rick. Uh, what a fine gentleman he is. Absolutely. Yes. I expect a hibiscus delivered to your and my desk since we just said that. Yeah, so that's that, that, that was part of the agreement, right. as I recall. Yes. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kidding, Rick. Um uh, so, fifteen gallon live oaks scattered um, on a hill, Burleson County, a year or two, maybe three in. Um, is it appropriate to? It, it you know we lose them a lot in the summer. Mm-hmm. What about fertilization? And uh, would you do it quarterly, granular? Uh, that sustained release liquid. Uh-huh. So when you say scattered on a hill, are you talking about kind of like a pasture setting or down a long drive on a property uh, or, or what kind of situation? Well, it, it's on a big hill in Burleson County and mm-hmm. literally on the top of that hill scattered around. Okay. You know, I, me- I measured, I think it's it's 40 feet between the A&M trees on the main drive, walked it uh, with our son. Mm-hmm. And uh it's about, so at least 40 feet because we want them to be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, so, no, they're not down the drive uh, at this point in time. They're, okay. they're more natural in, in placement. But uh, we, we've been looking for some vigorous sorts of growth, and uh, 
it's largely a sand gravel hill. Okay. Our neighbors have amazing live oaks that are hundreds of four, five hundred. Who knows how old? Okay. But uh, but um, we have a few, but not nearly like they do. And so we were hoping to get them growing. Okay. Uh, you can use a fertilizer on them. Uh, a, a slow release is going to be more expensive, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that the cost is justified with okay. the, with the situation you described. Um, that you, if you use like a lawn fertilizer, that's fine. But you know, the best thing you could do for those trees is get rid of the grass in a large area around the tree. Mm-hmm. Whether you mulch it with, you know, whatever real deep, or or spray it to kill the grass or whatever, and don't let it have tree competition. And however wide out you can go is fine. I mean, within reason. You know, if it if the tree reaches five feet in both directions and you could go, you know, 10 feet in both directions, that's that's a big area. And I realize that may not be acceptable for various reasons. But if you make that tree think it's in a forest, it's going to be happy. So if you, if you get rid of the grass competition, you've given the tree nutrients and water that it would not have had right there. It's almost like fertilizing. Well, it is like fertilizing right there and watering. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then when on top of that, throw compost on the ground. Uh, or yeah. just start piling leaves. You know, everybody's putting them in the bag for you in the neighborhoods. Yeah. And just, yeah. just give it the forest floor and leave it like that. Year after year, just add more mulch to the top. It could be wood chips from, you know, the trucks that uh, right. grind, grind up power line trimmings. They'll dump it sometimes at the property. Uh, anything that just creates a really nice decomposing competition-free zone is going to mm-hmm. do a lot. To, to speed the growth of that tree. Fertilizing is certainly an option, and then keeping the grass mowed as low as you can is helpful, mm-hmm. but the difference between a forest floor environment and competing with grass is night and day. It's huge. Okay, okay. And I guess that's uh, true in town as well, so that yes. grass we've tried to you know nurture under the big old trees is Yes. Better if it's just covered with compost, and, right. at least for the tree. That's right. Now, 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 trees have personally paid me $20 bills to ask for 10 feet in all directions. But I realize yeah. at home, uh, you, you, that's not a practical aesthetic front yard deal. Uh, so if yeah. you even make it five feet wide across, yeah. uh, right. that, that's better than nothing. And it keeps the lawnmower and weed eater away. But yeah. if you can at least get out to the branch spread for the young yeah. life of that tree... Uh, and get it going, then it, it's not like you have to eventually mulch the whole yard. I mean, it, you're trying to get that thing yeah. moving, and once it's established, it's going to take it from there. Oh, okay. And um, those bags, those water-retaining bags, yes. uh, slow release, yes. are uh-huh. recommended. That's good. When did you when did you plan again? A couple of years ago. Oh, I wouldn't do the bags anymore. That oh, for the very right. first summer. That's fine, but those roots okay. better be way beyond where a bag will help them. Uh, oh. if you can put, you know, uh, do do you have a water line out there or or not? Uh, it's it's called a garden hose. A garden because hose. I don't want to I don't want to run anything that yes. um, uh, would hurt the existing old uh, post oaks. Yeah, good. I good. Didn't want to run a the underground line because I, I I've seen them. Just you look yes. at them and they die. Well, th- there's a lot of ways t- to skin a cat on this, but uh, yeah. I have, I have used uh, different ways to to.
to water trees in that situation. One, mm-hmm. you can have a little sprinkler on a hose. And uh, I've even, like, um, daisy-chained them out where, you, you know, you've got, <laughs> as you go down the row, there's, there's waterers down the line, uh, you know, with using mm-hmm. a, a splitter type thing. Uh, but Yeah, our th- son's done that with multiple hoses. I mean, yeah. it's like an octopus. You, you can, yeah. and that, that just saves you time because you're going to be, yeah. you're going to be, and then I've even put a timer uh, on uh, before, a little, little, like a, uh, right. It attaches to the faucet kind of timer, right. and the nice ones with a battery, you can tell it, I want you to water every day for this amount of time. Uh, and so, because when you try to water with a sprinkler, you get water too fast, and it runs yeah. off before it soaks in a foot like we'd like it to. So you can kind of figure all that out according to the, you know, the combination of cost and, and time you spend and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but but it, two years in, I would not bother with a bag or some of the other techniques like a berm, a donut of soil. Uh, those oh. those roots are going to be further out. A, a berm would be okay. The nice thing about a berm is you, again, make as big as you can, uh, but it's got a hole water. Uh, and you want to be able to put a hose in it and fill it up with water, yeah. then all the water right. has to go down. It can't go anywhere else. Yeah. I think they're getting a little old for even a berm. Okay. Well, that's good news, I guess. I mean, it, <laughs> okay. it sort of held the water on that sand hill, but, uh, but I, I mean, I guess that if it drains down and goes and it's beyond the little roots, then who knows what else it might help. But. There, There you go. There you go. Okay. And if a, if a if a deer goes out and does their horns on the trunk of the that tree in the first year or two and sort of gets most of that outer bark uh-huh. off, is, is it a goner? Should we just pull and start over? Yeah, it's a goner. Um, you know, it's a percentage uh-huh. game. So if you take a bird's eye view looking down at the trunk and if yeah. you've lost the bark just on maybe a fourth of the way around the tree, uh, it, it'll probably recover, and if it's a young, yeah. vigorous, otherwise healthy tree, uh, but if it gets you know past that, it, it you're going to have an interior decay, and it yeah. uh, it's right. it's uh, not not worth it. There now there are other deer control. You know people will put a a um, a wire, you know two iron posts, and then mm-hmm. a wire like a oh I don't know whatever kind of wire you want to use. I'd probably use a, like one of those one by or two by four, or one by four, one by two wire meshes and make a big circle and keep them out away from the trunk. They're going to still browse the branches, but that's mm-hmm. not as big of a problem as, as right. the horns on the trunk. Right. And, and probably look at that. And then just always remember that deer are edible. Huh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't know what your listeners will think. The so, some are some are horrified and running yeah. to rip the radio out of the wall and I throw it across the right. room. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. We all need steps and exercise. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank I you appreciate much, that. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Let's go back to the emails, and uh, Phyllis has an email with a photo of some pretty crepe myrtles, uh, kind of a light pink bloom, very upright growing, and uh, wants to know what kind of crepe myrtles are those 
Uh, Phyllis, I could do some searching and try to find it. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do that during the show. So let me give you, uh, or anybody listening that's interested, uh, there is a, a resource that I did years ago uh, with a Dr. Hor- Parsons, a horticulturist in San Antonio. And it, if you do a Google search or whatever search engine uh, and put Skip Richter and Crepe Myrtle, all of that in there, that's a fast way to find it. It's got a long URL, Skip Richter Crepe Myrtle. And it's a, it's a chart of Crepe Myrtles from, I think, 3 feet high to 35 feet high. And there's a little picture of the blooms of each one. So you can go down the list. These are, these are looking to me like they're about 18, 20 feet high. I could be wrong, but uh, that's what it looks like. So you just go down the list to one that size, look for a pink bloom, and there's a good chance that's what it is. Now that list is an old list, and a lot of new ones have come out. Uh, but that would probably be where I would go first if I were trying to answer your question. And uh, after after that, also, I think our list talks about if they have more of an upright growth habit or more of a spreading growth habit. I, I may be wrong about that. Uh, but I would start there. Uh, there's there's a lot of other good crepe myrtle information online and, you know, that has names of varieties and things. But uh, I would start with that. Just just search for that using Skip Richter crepe myrtle and I think that will probably get you there. If you don't have any luck, uh, just email me again, and I will, I'll try to do some research and see if I can find uh, that one for you. Uh, let's see. Also, the couple of, some of you folks have sent me some pretty extensive questions with lots of pictures and stuff, so I'm going to probably have to uh, answer these uh, a little bit a little bit later. Uh, we did get a, I, I got a notice in, I want to talk about some upcoming things in town and make sure we have plenty of time for that. The, um, the local uh, Herb Society of America unit, uh, the Pioneer unit, that's ours that's, you know, in this area, uh, they're going to have a plant sale. And the dates are March 18th, it, which is a Friday and 19th. Both days are 9 to 5, March 18th and 19th. And so if you've got, uh, maybe you've never planted herbs before. By the way, if you if you uh, check the, the eagle tomorrow, I've got a column all about herbs. Uh, not everything you want to know about herbs, but uh, just talking about how wonderful they are and some other ways to look at them and use them. Uh, so that that's in the Friday eagle. But um, the... Um, the herb sale is on 18th and 19th, and they're going to have a number of different kinds of herbs. It's out at Festival Hill, which is north of Round Top off Highway 237. The Festival Hill Institute, you can search for that on a map app uh, and find it. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive out, but man, it's really, really worth it. And you're going to find that they're going to have bedding plants and herbs and shrubs and succulents and trees there. They even have a little kind of a gift and food item shop, uh, and you can credit card cash and checks. It doesn't cost anything to get in. Uh, it, it's really, really nice to go out there occasionally if you haven't been. So uh, you can find more information uh, from them. It's the Pioneer Unit Herb Society of America. On, they have stuff on Facebook and they also have a website. Uh, but that's on March 18th and March 19th uh, coming up. And it's spring, and that's when different groups have their plant sales and things. And the Brazos County Master Gardeners are going to have their sale on the 26th, which is a Saturday. Uh, and they have a, a different, uh, a wide variety of different things that they're bringing in. Uh, but in past years, back before, pre-COVID, when we, we had the big plant sales at the old extension office on Highway 21, 
the, we are now in a new office, and we're out right next to the, the appraisal district office and the tax office. And so uh, that's out on, uh, think of it as um, East University, across the bypass. So uh, this will be on the 26th. They'll start at 8 a.m., and uh, it, I think, goes to probably about 11 or 12. And I don't have my flyer in front of me. I should. But they're going to have a lot of different things. It'll be at the new extension office, easy to get in and get out there. Uh, and it supports the Master Gardeners, which support all of our our work and activities. When you go to the Bryan Library and you have a free gardening, uh, uh, hands-on fun with the kids, that's the Master Gardeners doing that for you. The, out at Lick Creek Park, they go out and do public education things there. And they just help us in, a, in a, a, a thousand ways to take extension and reach out to more people than one agent can. Uh, so that's, that's what their proceeds are for. So 26th of March, put that on your calendar. And I'll talk more about it as we as we get a little bit closer to it uh, in, in time. Uh, let's see, I want to go back. I had one other question that came in from, uh, let's see, emails. I'm sorry, taking me just a minute to find the thing. So, okay, well, uh, I'm going to have to hunt it down and, and find it. Some other things going on around town. Uh, of course, we have our farmers markets. The South Brazos County Market is on Tuesday from noon to five. Across from the Scott and White Clinic uh, off of East or East University. So if, you, if you're at campus and you're heading out University to the bypass, right before you get to the bypass light, on, you, there's a street off to the right and it's back in there. Uh, that's noon to 5 on Tuesdays. Uh, and then the market also is on Friday from noon to 5, same place. The Brazos Valley Farmers Market is on Saturdays from uh, 8 a.m. to noon. That's downtown Bryan at Main Street and 21st. A lot of things going on down there. There's also a Farm Friday out on Tabor Road. It's a newer farmers market uh, that is offering local produce, all kinds of things from plants and eggs and uh, homemade baskets. Uh, y y Dog treats even. I mean, we're talking about a lot of stuff. These farmer's markets are fun to visit because all kinds of stuff are there. And you get to meet neat, neat people, too. That's on Fridays from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. So you can pretty much spend Friday and Saturday running around to farmer's markets here. That's good. Good for us. Uh, garden club information. Uh, let's see. On Friday, February the 11th, which is tomorrow, the A&M Garden Club will be meeting at Peace Lutheran Church, which is the, it's at Rio Grande and um, where it uh, comes into the uh, Harvey Mitchell. And I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry, I gave the wrong, wrong address. Let me just give you the number, 2101 Rio Grande, Peace Lutheran Church. They're gonna have a talk on worship, uh, workshop tips. Do I need to go home, take a shower, come back and try this again? <laughs> I was thinking of the church, so it came out. Okay, workshop tips and practice for botanical arts. They're going to get tips to prepare materials for pressed flowers for botanical art, pressed plant material book cards, greeting cards, and even decorating gift boxes. That kind of sounds fun. I may have to go by and do that. I love those hands-on kinds of things. And that is the A&M Garden Club Friday tomorrow, February 11th at 10.30 a.m. Peace Lutheran Church. 
And then on Monday, February 14th, the Brazos Valley Orchid Society is meeting, and that's at 7 p.m. Now, uh, and I, here's another one I need to go to. The uh, It says, bring your orchids, and they'll discuss how to repot them. I've got a bunch of orchids that uh, right now they're uh, fixing to pop blooms. They're kind of a little off cycle, but they're popping out some blooms. But uh, if you have orchids that you bought at the store and they're kind of sitting around not blooming, you need to go and talk to these folks and find out how do you keep them happy? Because I've had some that, uh, gosh, I've had several years and they just keep going and keep blooming with just a little bit of the right care. That's going to be at Station 6 Fire Station, which is the corner of Tarot and University Drive in College Station. Brazos Valley Orchid Society, Monday the 14th, 7 p.m. at the Station 6 on Tarot and University Drive. Bring your orchids, haul them in. Bring your tired, your weary, your huddled masses yearning to have a new pot to live in. On Tuesday the 15th, the Texas A&M Women's Garden Interest Group is meeting. Uh, and, and these two can get a little confusing. The Garden Club and the Garden Interest Group are both meeting this time at Peace Lutheran Church, same place. But this is Tuesday, 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Dr. Meng Meng Gu, who is an associate professor in the Hort Department at Texas A&M, and she's going to talk about Texas native perennials. She specializes in ornamental horticulture, and we've she's been a guest on our station or on our show before. Uh, Meng Meng Gu uh, 11.30 to 1.30, Tuesday the 15th. Uh, lots of things going on uh, here around the community. So that's good. It's spring, and it makes it makes it fun. Uh, let's see. The um, uh, gardens at Texas A&M are going to present a program called Love Your Roses. Love Your Roses. And that's on Thursday, February 3rd. Oh, gosh, what am I doing? We're already past that. It came later in the in the event. All right, let's try this one. Uh, this is this is one. You, if you've been writing in pencil, write this in ink. Uh, on Saturday, the twelfth, just around the corner, from nine to five, and on Sunday, the thirteenth, from eleven to four, is the forty-third annual Brazos County Home and Garden Expo. Now, there's all the home and garden things, but we're a gardening show, so let me talk about the gardening specific part of it. Our Brazos Valley Master Gardeners are going to have a booth out there. I'll be out there some to uh, answer gardening questions. Uh, there's a thing for kids where kids can come up and get a little packet to take home for coloring and, and kind of just plant-related type things like that. Uh, there'll be some seminars also. Now, you want to come anytime, and you can visit with the Master Gardeners about your questions one-on-one. Uh, but there'll be a seminar on creating your own butterfly gardens. There'll be a seminar on year-round vegetable gardening. Uh, I'll be uh, giving, uh, well, there'll also be one on raised bed gardening, another on holistic horticulture, or holistic healing through horticulture, uh, and uh, home composting and managing our soil, nutrients, and irrigation water. And then I'll be doing one on um, uh, success with flowers and vegetables in containers. Now, if you if you go online, it's gbvbuilders.org. G V 
gbvbuilders.org, the um, uh, and then you go to the Home and Garden Expo link, or just do a Google search for it. Uh, you can see all the talks and whose talk is going to be when on what day and so on. It costs five bucks uh, for adults. Uh, uh, seniors get a discount at three dollars, and children under twelve are free uh, to go in. But there's a lot to see. It's a great way to to uh, get some good information, uh, not just for gardening, uh, but for other aspects of the home and garden life. On Thursday, February 17th, next Thursday, there's a Learning at the Library series. And uh, one of our master gardeners uh, is going to be giving a talk on edible landscaping with herbs. And that's at the Clara Mounts Library in Bryan. It's at 2 p.m., Thursday the 17th, next Thursday at 2 p.m. So the minute our show ends, jump in your car and run to the Clara Mounts Library to learn about edible landscaping with herbs. And um, I think that you will find it uh, very enjoyable. It's, again, it's a free program, but you'll learn how to use herbs uh, to add, add zip not only to your food, but also interest to your garden. And again, another shameless plug for tomorrow in the paper, an article I put in on herbs. I guess it's, it's herbs on the brain time of the year because this is, this is fun. Uh, Saturday, February 20th, uh, the part of the Get Growing series, Edible Landscaping with Herbs, another one of our master gardeners out at Lick Creek Park, Sunday, February 20th again, 3 to 4.30 p.m. at Lick Creek Park. Uh, Lick Creek's a great place to go visit for any reason, but now especially you're going to also get to learn about common herbs uh, there. And... Um, there is, a, I believe, a $4 charge for that program. It's part of the uh, Park Systems uh, programs. Uh, but that's Sunday, February 20th at 3 p.m. My goodness, I think I've, I've covered quite a bit on those, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I'll be giving you some more information on some other upcoming things uh, that are going on in the community uh, in the coming weeks. If you've got a vegetable garden or want to have a vegetable garden, we are in the big middle of the uh, of the the uh, winter season, and there are a lot of I say the middle of the season. We're we're in the big middle of of the planting time when we come out of winter and are planting all kinds of things like beets and uh, asparagus crowns can still be planted. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kohlrabi, kale, uh, collards, all those blue-leafed cruciferous vegetables. Uh, we're starting to plant chard, Swiss chard. It's not fully freeze hardy, but it, it has a little bit of hardiness. But So we start planting it now. Uh, and uh, so carrots, I mentioned also. Um, if you if you want to grow lettuce or if you want to grow spinach, you can still plant those. This is a great time, kind of middle of the, of the best time to plant those for the spring garden. Uh, bulbing onions can still be planted. By the way, bulbing onions and potatoes are, are I see them in garden centers. Uh, all over the place now, and, and so it is a prime time for planting those. So if you would like to grow, uh, we, we generally call them Irish potatoes, but we're talking about everything from a baker-type potato to a new potato, the new potato being the kind we tend to grow here, red and white. They don't have that uh, heavily russeted skin, but they're smoother skinned. Uh, early to mid-February is prime time for getting those in the ground, so you definitely don't want to delay if you want to do that. Uh, and then the onion, the little onion transplants. 
Uh, if you want bulbing onions, now is a good time to go ahead and plant those. And those are available in garden centers. Uh, so take some uh, advantage of uh, some pretty decent weather, really, this week and, and, and coming up uh, to get out in the garden and enjoy enjoy that kind of thing. I think I mentioned uh, beets and carrots, but I didn't mention turnips. This is also a good a good time for turnips. If you've never gardened before and you want to learn how, there's a lot of good information. Certainly you can come to places where our master gardeners are and visit with them. You can uh, contact the Extension Office uh, for, for information. If you go to the Master Gardener's uh, website, uh, you can actually download a vegetable garden planting date chart. Uh, vegetable garden planting dates. Brazos MG website. And so the uh, chart will tell you exactly when to plant all kinds of different vegetables all through the year. And there's other good information there. And then there's the Aggie Horticulture website. Uh, when you go to aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu, uh, you can click on the vegetables section and there's an easy gardening series. And that is free PDF publications, downloadable, printable, if you wish, uh, on everything. Uh, that you can imagine planting in your vegetable garden. Lots of good, including some stuff on herbs. Uh, so I would recommend that you consider uh, checking that out as well. And if you don't have room for a garden in the ground, you do have room for a container. So uh, one fast thing to do is just come out on Saturday. It'll be Saturday uh, in the afternoon. I think it's about two-ish when I do the talk on container gardening. You can find good information on that on Aggie Horticulture, but even if you just have some five-gallon buckets, you can be a gardener. All you need is a little potting soil and some information on what to plant when and how. And so even an apartment dweller with a balcony that has some sun can be a gardener. So I encourage you to take advantage of all those things. Gosh, we have so many, uh, so many good things going on right now. And if you've never gardened before, uh, take some time and get out and have some fun and do it. Uh, there's a wealth of research-based information. We try to put that out here on the show. We, anytime that Extension is putting things out, we, we give research-based information. Don't just listen to what you might find on social media. Uh, but we want to get you off to a good start. And I think you will find it to be not only enjoyable, but also healthy. It's good for our health to be around plants. It's good for our health to eat right and the things we grow is, is part of that. Uh, and if you've got kids or grandkids, for uh, for crying out loud, get them involved too. Uh, I can remember growing up uh, being exposed to a garden and getting to work in a garden. And I guess that's maybe part of the reason why I ended up doing what I do. Uh, but kids need to learn about gardening, about plants and life. It's a good it's a good science lesson, but it's also a good life lesson and healthy eating lesson. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. We're here every Thursdays from 12 to 1 to take your calls and emails and answer your gardening questions. And I look forward to talking to you again next Thursday. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.